I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 8. And we are back in our series in Matthew. Um, and we've titled the series, Your Kingdom Come. Uh, Matthew is writing so much as he's, as he's writing this gospel message, this good news message of Jesus who, who came to earth, who defeated sin and death, who paid the price for us, a, a, a debt that we could never pay. And uh, the last years, we've been going through chapter 5, 6, and 7 as we've been covering the Sermon on the Mount. And in that uh, sermon, Jesus is instructing them how to pray. And, and part of what we now know is the Lord's prayers. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we've taken this idea because Matthew is going to talk a lot about the kingdom of God uh, throughout the rest of this book. And so we're saying, your kingdom come. And so as we move into chapter 8, what we're seeing, in fact, it starts off by saying when Jesus came down from the mountainside, so he's on the Sermon on the Mount delivering this message that uh, we see in Luke that it is believed that this was a message that Jesus was always teaching. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't a one-time thing. It is believed by historians and theologians that this is what Jesus was preaching. He was preaching the kingdom of God wherever he went. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is, and if you are my followers, this then is how you live. You live out the kingdom, and, and we are told that we are representatives. Paul writes that we are ambassadors of this kingdom here on earth. And so as we come from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching what it is, and then he immediately goes into, and this is what it looks like being played out. And the first three miracles we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks uh, the first three that Matthew records, and, and Matthew is very detail-oriented. Matthew, the book of Matthew isn't uh, chronological, but the way that Matthew compiles his, his book is very important to understand. So the first four chapters are an introduction uh, to Jesus, how his, his lineage, um, how he was baptized, how he was chosen by God, and then how he started choosing disciples. Then Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is him teaching the Sermon on the Mountain. And what we'll see from here on out is Jesus' teaching followed by the response. And these are uh, collections of stories. So chapters uh, 8 and 9 are then showing this is now Jesus living out the kingdom. Chapter 10 is another almost message of Jesus teaching his disciples how they go out and live on mission, followed by stories of it. And that's kind of what the theme, there's four big messages that Jesus delivers followed by chapters explaining how that looked over a period of time. So it is not chronological as some of the other uh, Gospels are, but Matthew is this collection of here's what Jesus said and here's what he did, and this is now how we live it out. So that's all uh, uh, oversight as you're looking through and studying through the book of Matthew. So uh, the first three miracles that we're going to see, and it is not on accident, uh, are of what we would call marginalized people. Uh, the first three, thing, th first three people that we see Jesus healing as far as how Matthew records it is one, what we're going to go over tonight, of Jesus healing a leper. Uh, next week, we're going to see Jesus healing a Roman centurion or, or working with a Roman centurion. Understand, the Jews and the Romans hated each other. I mean, hated each other. Now, the Jews were always, um, they had what was called zealots, and they thought God has selected them to carry daggers to ever, if they ever have the opportunity to kill a Roman soldier to act on it. Uh, one of Jesus' disciples was called Simon the Zealot. What we know about him was he was called Simon the Zealot. That is about all we know about him in the entire Bible. But he would have been part of this class of people. And so to 
Jesus healing someone because of a Roman is, it's hard for us to comprehend that. But at that time, people would highly, highly start wondering if this was really the Messiah. Jesus heals a leper, the unclean, the outcasts of society, the don't go near them. And he heals a woman, Peter's mother-in-law. The woman were, again, a second-class citizen at this time and in this culture. And so understand these first miracles that we're going to see in these chapters are, are Jesus healing the marginalized, the people who were uh, considered not as important as, say, a Roman citizen and a Roman, or from the Jewish world, somebody who is of uh, good Jewish descent and tribe and, and status and standing. And then I love what we're going to see next, in the next chapter when he's talking about miracles, that's where he includes how Matthew was chosen as a disciple. That Matthew is telling us he views him a tax collector. He's one of these marginalized people. He's one of the outcasts of his own society simply uh, because of his occupation, which was hated. He was taxing his own people as part of the Roman government as a Jewish man. And so when he talks about Jesus calling him, he puts it in the midst of all of these miracles that Jesus is doing. But again, this is the application, if you will, to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, this is how you live, and then he goes out and he does it. And he demonstrates what the kingdom of God is, that the kingdom of God is a place where healing takes place, is a place where um, there is peace, and a place that love rules all, is a place, and he says, now you live in that way. Now you go out and you love people like you have seen me love, and you treat people the way that you have seen me treat people. Even the people who, as you've been born and has been uh, flooded into your minds, people that you hold an extreme grudge or an extreme bias against, you love them and you treat them greater than you would yourself. Jesus is saying, live out the kingdom of God as a representative and as an ambassador wherever you live, learn, work, and play. So you represent Jesus. So that's our big theme as we start to walk through these next two chapters over the next seven or eight years as we've been going through Matthew. Uh, but Matthew, we're going to start in Matthew uh, chapter 8, and we're going to read the first four verses. So please read along with me. Matthew writes, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. The first thing that I want you to take away from this is that Jesus sees the greater need. Jesus sees the greater need. Let's walk back through this story, if you will. The first thing that we see is a leper approached him. So to fully understand leprosy, at least I didn't go to medical school. I've never claimed to be a medical doctor. This is just what I've read. If you are a medical doctor, please feel free to correct me afterwards. Please not during again. Just kidding, that's never actually happened, by the way. Leprosy, lepers were complete outcasts of society. Uh, what would happen during this time is if there was any kind of a uh, skin irritation or 
uh, some form of problem according to Levitical law, they would go and show themselves to a priest. And the priest would then decide if they were, if it was leprosy or, uh, I don't know what they had at the time, poison ivy or something of the like. And he'd say, okay, either you need to go and be a part until this clears up or there was a certain amount of time. Um, we, I don't know that much about leprosy. Uh, it still exists, but what they would then say, if it was definitely leprosy, they would then immediately would have to leave. They would leave the city. Uh, they had to wear tattered and ripped clothing as a way to let people know that something was wrong with them. They had to wear a piece of cloth over the lower part of their uh, face. I don't know if you've ever seen people walking around wearing masks before, but that's what that would look like, is they would wear this uh, Levitical law, so they had to wear cloth over the lower half of their face. Part of the reason for this is the nature of leprosy. And again, from what I understand, best case scenario, if you have leprosy, is in nine or ten years, it would start to affect your nervous system, it would start to affect the uh, interior of your body, and in nine or ten years, you would succumb to leprosy. The most common thing, as far as historical writings, is it was more of a 20 to 30 year process. And it would start with the extremities of your body that would become ulcerated and literally rot while they were still attached before they would fall off. So uh, think fingers and hands and toes and feet, uh, nose, lips, ears. Uh, those types of the things are the ones that would ulcerate and, and die and slowly just fall off. It's a very disgusting process. That's why they were told to wear clothes that would cover them. The other thing that they would do and, and understand, being a leper, you are cast out of society. You do not get to say goodbye to anybody. You leave the city before it spreads. And they would go out to these colonies, and, and in these colonies, uh, they are no longer with their family. They're no longer uh, with their friends. Uh, anywhere they would go, if they saw a crowd of people, they'd have to start yelling, unclean, 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 so that the people would know not to get anywhere near them. And again, we're saying 10 to 30 years this would go on in someone's life. They were not even welcome a lot of times in, in synagogues. There are old historical writings of rabbis. They were supposed to provide an area where lepers could come and still be part of the worship service, but rabbis would brag about how, hey, lepers don't even come near our place. Uh, one, one rabbi wrote how he would throw rocks if he saw a leper to make sure that their synagogue was clean. Uh, lepers were lonely. Lepers were dying, and they were only surrounded by people just like them. They were all in the same place. But Jesus sees the greater need. See, I'm convinced that these lepers who, as soon as they would be told they have leprosy, and sometimes they believe it wasn't leprosy, but they would be put in a surrounding where they're surrounded by people with leprosy, so eventually they would catch it. Uh, even though it wasn't as a contagious a disease as others out there, if you're always with only lepers, you will contract it. And they're signed up to a lifetime of loneliness, of feeling alone, of not feeling connected. And so what's easy to imagine here, and, and in, we're not exactly told, but mo almost all of Jesus' miracles that he does is he's doing things that people can't just say, oh, that's just because. When he heals a, a paralytic man, you think of the muscle atrophy that would have set in over a lifetime of only being ever to, able to lay down, of never using his legs or never using his arms. But when Jesus heals them, they can jump and walk. There's no physical therapy involved. The muscles are restored. 
when he brings people's hands back or ears back or, or whatever it is he's doing, it is a very noticeable thing that he's doing. And so, again, this is just my guesstimation, but this leper is more than likely in very bad shape, that he has very progressed in his leprosy. And again, that's just my understanding of this. And although it is very clear that this man is a leper, Jesus sees the greater need. So I believe that this leprosy that they're talking about, that Matthew uses as an illustration, is just a, a picture, as a helpful picture for us to understand our sin. It's to help us understand our uncleanness. That according to uh, the law, according to our life, that uh, when we are not a child of God, that we are separated from God, that we are alone, that we operate in a world where oftentimes we're only operating like people like us. The difference being that leprosy was noticeable on the outside. People could tell. But as human beings, we work so hard to hide our sin. In a little bit, we're going to go through Isaiah 64, which talks about what it is to be unclean, that talks about uh, our great need for God, as Will read at the beginning of Psalm 103, of how separated we are from God when there is sin involved in our life, and when, uh, but God sees us, that we can do whatever we can to try to hide it, but Jesus sees the greater need. The reason that Jesus existed was because, the reason that Jesus still exists and always has he understands that the greatest need that we have is forgiveness of our sins. That there is nothing that we can do in that. And so, we are so much like the leper. If you have not made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, you are that leper. Number two I want to go over is the question, how do you approach Jesus. How do you approach Jesus? Uh, there's a book I can't recommend enough called You Can Change by Tim Chester. And in the book he says, our problem is that we think of ourselves as being the center of our world. We think of our lives as a story and, if we're Christians, God is one of the characters in our story. We look for him and we need him and expect him to be grateful when we serve him. He's a lovely piece of our story, but we still think of it as our story. So how do we see the leper approach Jesus? The first thing we see is he falls on his knees and cries out, Lord. This is understanding of who Jesus is and who he is. He was well aware that he was unclean. He's spent however long it has been that he's had leprosy yelling out, unclean, 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 wherever he has gone. He knows that he is unclean, but he also knows that Jesus is the answer. And he knows that, and he's recognizing, Jesus, you are Lord of all, that you are Lord. When you called somebody Lord, you were not only just saying their correct title, but you were also saying you were submitting to them that you understand that they are in control of the situation and you are not. And so the first thing we see is he approaches in complete humility. He approaches Jesus with complete humility, understanding who he was, an unclean, dirty leper, desperately in need of healing. 
He knew who he was, and he knew who Jesus was. The second thing I see is that he was moved by faith. Again, I don't know, not much detail is given about the leper. But if it was as drastic as leprosy could be as moving on, understand that we don't know where he came from. We don't know how many miles he had to cover to get there at the bottom of the mountainside. Uh, Was he listening to Jesus from afar because he couldn't approach? And so as Jesus comes down the mountainside, uh, did he take, did he have to travel without the use of toes or feet? How progress had his leprosy been? But he understood that by faith he understood Jesus was the answer. That it might be painful to go to Jesus, that it might be painful, that it was going to be humiliating to go in front of all of these people and admit that he was unclean and then still approach Jesus in this faith saying, Lord, you can heal me. So do we approach Jesus with humility? Do we approach in faith? Do we understand the reality of the situation and are we willing to act on it? And what happens? Jesus reaches out his hand and immediately the leper is made whole. There wasn't a waiting period. Again, Jesus reaches out his hand to the unclean. Jesus, under the law, would have himself been unclean, but for the first time in history, as we follow through the law, whatever was unclean made whatever it touched unclean, but now, for the very first time, what was pure and holy and clean reaches out and touches the unclean, and the unclean is made clean. The broken is made whole. Whatever he had lost had been restored. Why? Because he is Jesus, and only he can do that. Only he can take something that the rest of the world sees as useless and unclean and casts out, and only he can come in and touch. Only he can offer that the unclean to be clean. What was once condemned is now justified. What was the outcast is now welcomed in as a co-heir. What was once a slave to sin now operates in freedom. We always come into this part of what about the law? The law says you can't touch something that is unclean without becoming unclean yourself, but Jesus is what the law always pointed to. And so now Jesus, who is clean, who is holy, who is righteous, he's demonstrating what he says repeatedly and and what Paul and the other writers of the New Testament would go on, and that is love overrules the law. Jesus, out of love, gave to the leper what nobody else could offer. And then he says, now go. Don't tell anybody about this, which I always think is really funny when Jesus says that. Hey, don't tell anybody else I healed your leprosy. Don't tell anybody that I, you were once blind and I made you be able to see. Truth is, they probably didn't have to tell many people. But we also know from Mark's writing is that he told everybody. He wanted everybody to know what had happened to him. 
that he was once unclean, that he had lived a life separated and abandoned and an outcast, and now he is on his way to Jerusalem to walk into the temple and to walk up to the priest and say, check me out. And the priest would then take what was once dirty, what was given up on, and announce him clean, welcoming back into society, welcoming him back into community. And now he could operate telling people about what he had witnessed what he had seen. Jesus, out of love, healed him, pointed him back to the law. He followed the law by going to the priest and offering the sacrifice that was needed to be made. Why? Because it always points back to Jesus. Love is greater than the law, and the law was established to point people to Jesus. Such a beautiful picture. Jesus brings restoration. Jesus brings healing to the greatest need that we could have. And then third, we exist to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. Going back to the original question, how do, or the first question, how do we approach Jesus? And Tim Chester, in the same book, You Can Change, I'm going to mention it a lot so that you buy it. Later on in the same chapter, he says, it's so much better to be a minor character in God's story than to write our own script. Living with God at the center is the good and sane life. It's better to enjoy the warmth of the sun than to light a bonfire in our home. It's better to reflect the glory of God than to be consumed by the empty pursuit of our own glory. So I have a couple questions for you. Hopefully you'll write them down as application questions, as community groups start this week. Hopefully these are the things that you will be discussing in your community group. But number one, are you aware of what your sin looks like? Are you aware of what your sin looks like? looks like. I'm going to ask you to change over to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64 verses 6 and 9. Isaiah writes, all of us have become like one who is unclean. The NIV says unclean. Several other uh, interpret that actually as leper. Several of us have become like a leper, an outcast, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Stop there as well. Things that we do out of our own human righteousness, the things that we do that we would consider our good works, he says those are like filthy rags. But we have to understand that word filthy. Uh, filthy in the Hebrew would have been... Um, very unclean. These would have been the rags that would be used during a menstruation cycle for a woman. And because of the blood involved, they would have been considered unclean and nobody could touch them. They were taken to the outskirts of the city and burned. There was no more use for it. They were also, that word filthy is also used in other uh, contexts to describe uh, the wrappings that would have been around a leper very progressed into leprosy. Again, unclean. No use for them. According to the law, anybody that touched them then would become unclean. 
the only thing you could do is heap them up, bring them out, and burn them. So he's saying even you, at your human best, operating in your own humanity, the best that you could possibly do is like filthy rags, worthless to be consumed by fire. Continues, we all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Are you aware of what your sin looks like? Are you aware that we have been uh, compared to and illustrated with a leper? That is who we are without the righteousness, the blood of Christ. We are a leper. The best that we could ever do is as filthy rags. So number one, are you aware of what your sin looks like? Number two, do you try to hide your sin? Do you try to hide your sin? Um, back when I was younger, I had a, I've always had dogs, so I use dog stories quite a bit. But I had a beagle dachshund mix, and his name was Bernie. And Bernie was the smartest dog any of you would have ever met. Um, he was so crafty and tricky. I don't think anybody in here, Beth, you would have known Bernie, right? My beagle dachshund that I had? Yeah, and I think Brian. I think that's about everybody in here that would know it. Um, he could get out of double-locking kennels. Uh, he had been a scavenger um, when they found him on the street, but he was extremely overweight. And the vet said he was a scavenger, and he was very good at it. And I got him from a humane society. Well, I was working at a college, and I was never at my cabin that I lived in during the day. So different people would say, hey, can we go up, watch a movie, and make cookies or cupcakes or whatever? We'll leave you some. And I was like, yes, feel free. So one day, um, some people said, hey, Rob, we made cupcakes. We left you some on the counter. And I was like, okay, great. My dog, Bernie, could not jump up to the counter. Uh, that's, put that in your memory banks. So I walk all the way. I live on the other side of campus, and I opened up the door, and there is Bernie just... Dogs don't really smile, but he could, I promise you. And he was smiling like, hey, man, welcome home. Come on in. And he had chocolate frosting and chocolate all over his face. And I was like, oh, no. And as I opened up the door wider, there was chocolate crumbs from where he, I don't know if he had pushed the chair closer to the counter and pulled the entire uh, plate of cupcakes off that dumped into the kitchen. And then... According to the evidence presented to me, he picked up the cupcakes, ate what he could, and there was still so much. So he then proceeded to jump on my white couch with white cushions and just slowly and methodically bury cupcakes in the back of the couch, in the back of the cushions, chocolate icing, chocolate frosting in every single crevice of the couch. He ran out of room. So then I followed the crumbs into my bedroom where he then jumped onto my bed and went over and buried under my pillows chocolate frosting and chocolate cupcakes and then moved the pillows to stack them on top. 
the amount of time that went by from people leaving my house until I got there, he was dedicated to getting this task done. To the point where when I came up to the door, he was there to greet me. Welcome home. Nothing to see here. Everything is normal. And I was furious because now I had to eat cupcakes that had been in a dog's mouth because I can't let those things go to waste. I'm just kidding. I didn't eat the cupcakes. But he had destroyed. There was so much cleaning to be done. I don't know how much chocolate my dog had consumed at this point. But as I'm cleaning up, I'm thinking, as dumb as this is, that he thinks he's going to get away with it when he is covered in chocolate and there's chocolate crumbs everywhere and there's chocolate icing all over the white cushions and the white couch and my bed. How much dumber do I look when I try to hide my sin? How much dumber do I look trying to hide my sin from an all-knowing, almighty God? So do you try to hide your sin? Now again, this is not biblical, this is just me. If I woke up one morning and I had something on my arm that looked like leprosy, being the extreme extrovert that I am, I'm going to hide that. Having to go out and be alone, to me, is absolute misery. I hate libraries because of the quietness that exists there. So to have to go out, one, to be a death sentence of having leprosy, to be cast out from community, to be cast out into society, I'm going to hide whatever it is that tells people that I have leprosy for as long as I humanly can. I'm going to risk hurting other people because I can't imagine being alone. So I'm going to try to hide my leprosy. But the thing is, we can only hide our sin. You can only hide leprosy for so long before it becomes noticeable. And please understand this. Your sin, my sin, is always more noticeable than you realize. We are that stupid beagle dachshund with chocolate frosting all over our face trying to act like everything is okay. But there is nothing to see here. We think we've got everybody fooled. We think we've done it. We have every excuse. But please understand, man looks on the outside. Man notices the leprosy. God notices the heart. God understands the greater need. God understands what every single one of us need more than we could ever realize. And then the third question is, do you hide from community? I had this thought as I was reading this week I don't think it's plagiarized, but I probably read a piece of something somewhere that has made me have this thought the rest of the week. And it was kind of humbling to me. I hope this doesn't surprise anybody, but you're sinners. And I also hope this doesn't surprise anybody, but so am I. We are sinners. All of us have something or many things that we struggle and wrestle with, um, And for some reason, when we get around other human beings, we think we have to try to fool them into thinking we're all right. So I'm going to put on the best show I can to make you think I've got it all together. And every once in a while I might say like, well, you know, I'm a sinner. (laughs) 
You're like, yep, so am I. Well, let's not go any further into that conversation. We'll just stop there. Now, we will run, as we are told to do repeatedly, and we'll talk about it in a little bit when we go through communion, to run to God and confess to God and to tell Him what is going on. And He tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and I am just and I will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so what we do is we confess to God and say, why won't you give me people to help me grow in this area? And then we go to church and we put on our best. We try to look like we've got it all together. We go to work and make it try to seem like we are the smartest person at our job that we've got it all figured out, that we have it all together. And we think we've got people fooled. The only one we're fooling is ourselves. So do you hide from community? Why do we feel comfortable? And, and again, I understand, rightfully so. God is love. God is truth. God is justice. But we will confess our sins to God, again, like we are supposed to. I can't emphasize that enough. But why won't we talk to each other? We're all going through the same thing. We are all uh, battling sin, ho hoping and praying that the Spirit of God works in us. We are told that we cannot do it by ourselves, that we rely on the Spirit of God to work in us, that we need God's strength that only He can provide. But the other thing sometimes we forget that God has called us to be kingdom ambassadors. Why? Because he wants to grow his kingdom. And his strategy, the methodology that he's given us to grow his kingdom is through a local church that we can be operating in and play an active part because we are all members of the body, that we are the bride of Christ, that we are given uh, gifts and talents and abilities to be used. But he's also told us that this is how we grow in compassion, that this is how we grow in long-suffering, that this is how we grow in love and all the different fruits of the Spirit and the 50-some times that we are told to do this to one another that can only come when we are operating inside of a community that is part of a local church body that exists to grow the kingdom at large. Why? So that all the glory goes to God. We exist to glorify God. So Jesus has provided you a community to practice in. Heavy emphasis on the word practice. See, Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, then he went and lived it out perfectly. But we've already discussed, you're not perfect and neither am I. So that's why we are told to practice. Practice is something you're pretty bad at, but you want to get better at. No matter what it is, whether it's piano or soccer or basketball or you name it, whatever it is, you have to practice it. You can't be good at bearing with one another when you hide yourself and only choose to be with people who are like you. You need other people to show you your weaknesses as, and you may not believe this, you are showing them theirs. If you're meeting with one person and they're constantly saying, just pray that I would be able to bear with this one person I meet with, it might be you. Why? Because you're not as perfect as you think you are. I'm not as perfect as I think I am. We're all sinners. We need each other. We need this community to help build each other up, to help us as iron sharpens 
iron as we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, as Hebrew tells us. I'll stop there really quick. Spur is not comfortable. I grew up thinking that spurring meant, uh, my mom said, when I said, what are those spurs? They're like, oh, they tickles the horse. And then they start moving faster. As I grew up, I realized a horse's skin is like this thick. Those spurs are to jab it. And a lot of times you use spurs because um, horses can't see the depth of, a, of water. And so I really enjoyed horseback riding, if you didn't know that. So you would come, and the first thing you do when you get on a horse is you have to teach the horse to trust you. You have to get the horse to understand, hey, I can see how deep the water is. You can't. You're scared to break your legs. You've got to trust me. And the horse is saying, yeah, I'm not moving. Sorry. And a lot of times, especially with younger horses or a horse that you don't know, in order to do that, you have to take the spurs and really drive the horse to get it to move forward. And then when it literally steps out in faith and it realizes, oh, you aren't trying to break my leg, you're just trying to get me to go forward. And trust is established between you and the horse. And so spurring one another on towards loving good deeds isn't always a comfortable thing to do, but we do it to build trust. We do it to step out and build faith. It's not in my notes. That's just all a side note. That's how we operate in community. That's how we practice growing and building. So we're going to start to move into a time of communion, but we are making this as part of our service. And so I want you to understand that what we've seen here is when we come to communion, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes that this is a time to examine ourselves. Um, So as we go back through these, points. How do you approach Jesus? This is the time where we get to remember all that God has accomplished, that Jesus accomplished, everything that needed to be accomplished on the cross and in the empty grave. He took our sin upon himself. He took our punishment upon himself. And when he died, he took our sins to the grave. And when he rose again, he defeated death. He defeated sin and death. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he paid the price that we no longer have to pay. And so when we come to this time of communion, it is a time to celebrate. When we take bread, it is a time to celebrate that Jesus' body was broken open for you and for me, that he bore our punishment on himself. When we come to the drink that we have, that that represents the blood of Christ, that pure righteousness, that it was his blood that covered over our sins. And so that when God looks at us, He doesn't see us in our sin, but when we have made Jesus the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, He sees this pure and righteous blood of the perfect Lamb, His Son, uh, from the prophecy made with Moses of the Passover Lamb, of covering with that perfect blood of the Lamb, and the angel of death passes over. So when we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are viewed as righteous, a leper that has been made clean, the condemned that has been pronounced innocent, the slave to sin that has now been made free to operate in Jesus Christ. And so our prayer is right now that as we take this time to go before God, to examine ourselves, one, if, if you know the Lord as your Savior, that He is the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, now is a time to say, is there things that need to be confessed? Is there a time of going before the Lord and humility and understanding who I am and who He is and going before Him to confess, knowing that you will be clean. 
But maybe you're here and, and you've never made that step. You've never called out to Jesus. You've never understood that you are unclean and that there are no amount of good works that will make you clean. That cleanliness can only come through Jesus. And our prayer tonight is that you stop and as we take this time of just where you are, being silent for the next two minutes, that maybe that is the day, this is the time that you call out asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to be the leader of your life. That you can experience that cleanliness that only Jesus brings. And so right now I'm going to ask you, we're going to go into a time of a couple minutes, two or three minutes of just where you are in silence. Maybe you go back through the passage in Isaiah 64. Maybe you go into 1 John 1.9 and just choose a passage and read through it and meditate on it and go before God. Examine yourself and go before God at this time. And then after a couple moments, I'm going to read another passage and then um, pray, and then we will go into a time of communion. So just right where you are for the next couple moments, just between you and God. Later on in the book of Matthew in chapter 26, we see Jesus sitting with the disciples for what would become known as the Last Supper, celebrating the Passover. Matthew writes, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When he had sung a hymn, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. If you've never done communion with us here at Hope Church, I'm just going to give some quick instructions. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pray. Uh, we're going to thank God as he says they thank God for the bread. They thank God for the cup. And then after we pray, we're going to go into song. And then just in your own timing, maybe you want to spend more time praying. Maybe you want to think through the song that we're singing, or maybe you just want to come up. But there are three stations, one over here um, on the kind of the bar in front of the window, one back here on the offering table, and then one up here uh, to your left. And you can take the bread that represents Jesus's body that was broken and then there's a drink, and you can dip it in the drink and then eat it as we remember this time of remembering all that Jesus has done for us. There is also another option, um, just the um, small communion packets with a cracker and the juice that's already in them. Uh, everything is allergen-friendly, gluten-free, no corn, I mean, uh, completely allergen-friendly. We have several people here who have different allergies. But all of that because we want you to understand what a time of demonstrating unity this is as we celebrate the Lord's table together. Uh, what a time it is to come together and, and recognize what we have in Jesus, to remember what he's done for us, to remember the forgiveness of sins that we have, the love that we can experience, the hope that we can only have in him. So I'm going to pray and then any time through the rest of the uh, service, the rest of the singing, feel free to come up and take part of communion with us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for everything that you have done, are doing, and promise you will continue to do. Lord, our prayer is that if there is anyone here that has not 
called out to you, that does not have that relationship with you, as Paul writes, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would be able to call out, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Knowing that they will have you for this life, but also have you for eternity. That they will never experience death. That they will never experience the punishment for their sins because you took it on yourself. But I pray for those that do know you that this is a time of of remembering all that you've done, but also a time of celebration because of the freedom that you have offered us who were born, sentenced as slaves to sin, but you have set free. Lord, I pray that we celebrate this together, that we celebrate this in unity. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to stand or sit, continue in prayer, whatever you would like to do as we continue in song.